he defines the zone of genius as this place where you're actually utilizing your natural gifts and follow them. And the level before that, in a way where most of our professionals stay nowadays, is the zone of excellence. And that is where you're good at what you do, but those are the learned skills. And that's what I see in the workplaces a lot. We have followed some predefined path for career for ourselves. We've grown to be good and experts in some areas that we internally might hate, or at least that are draining us on, on energy. And we're good at that. We're successful, quote unquote, but we're miserable. And I talk about zone of genius and I have a podcast and it's called Genius Leadership. And it is about finding your zone of genius and really getting to lead from that zone. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast brought to you by Cartavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business and grow your life. We're also excited to now be a part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Today, we have Anna Liebel with us today, and she's coming from Reykjavik, Iceland. And she is known as a mind shifter. Yes, a mind shifter, especially when it comes to leadership and self-leadership. She speaks and does work a lot with her clients about helping them to find, live, and lead from what she refers to as their zone of genius. This is tapping into our gifts rather than some of our learned skills going from excellent to genius. She works with men, especially men in leadership. Today, we're going to talk a lot about vulnerability, why vulnerability matters, some of the key challenges for men in being more vulnerable in their leadership. One of her core themes is about how do you transform your leadership to being more sustainable leadership, more impactful leadership, which includes the role of boundaries, the important role of uh, curiosity. Here's a really interesting concept today. She's going to talk about how vital it is for each of us as leaders to tap into our own sense of self-inclusion in order to be that leader that influences, that builds trust, builds great teams. Get ready to experience a truly transformational conversation about tapping into your zone of genius. Leadership Junkies podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. We are so excited to be back here today. We've got Anna Liebel with us coming to us from Reykjavik, Iceland. And if you haven't been to Iceland, the message is go to Iceland. I've had the opportunity to be there. It's a, it is a beautiful, beautiful place. And I look forward to being and having opportunity to explore more of it in the near future. So Anna is with us today, as of course, to talk about leadership. And she describes herself as a mind shifter. And Craig knows I love that. Oh yeah, I'm I'm just that that I I just love that. So we're going to do some mind shifting today. And her mission is to live happily and help others choose to do the same. She works with male leaders. Let's lead, lead with that. She works with male leaders in technology to get out of the fire, firefighter mode and become the proactive leaders they want to be and enjoy the ride along the way. 
One topic you're going to hear today a lot about is vulnerability. Mm. That's at the core of Anna's work and talk about the challenges that male leaders have to go to that space and how vital it is for them to make that shift, that mind shift, and open themselves in that area. Anna's background is in engineering and project management and in her corporate days. She met, here's what she says. She met too many brilliant humans who acted as stressed, overwhelmed managers and firefighters. And she has this concept of helping humans tap into their genius as leaders. We're going to talk today about what she calls the zone of genius. Anna's main goal is to create a safe space, something we talk about here a lot, a safe space for leaders to explore new practices, learn to understand themselves and others better, and get the support they've been lacking while being the go-to person for everyone else in their organization. So welcome, Anna, to this leadership conversation. Yes. Thanks, Jeff. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Craig. I'm Hi. very honored and happy to have this conversation with you today. Wonderful. So, Anna, give everybody a little bit of the uh, background story. So, as you'll hear from me, I'm not a native speaker in English, but which you might think that I'm Icelandic because I'm here. But this has been my home for last three years, and I have been moving northwest every time. So, I was born in Uzbekistan in a, a Ukrainian hmm. family, and we moved to Ukraine when I was one and a half. And then I grew up in Ukraine and went to Sweden to do my master's studies and stay mm. there, uh, building my corporate career in project management and uh, found my love there and then built a family. And with my husband's job, we moved to Iceland. And mm. I usually talk about this just to show that I'm used to being different in the room. <laughs> I've been working with project management directly after the university in an engineering global company where most of the people around me were much, much older than me. Some of them have been working in the company before I was born. <laughs> and uh, being sometimes the only immigrant in the room, sometimes the only female in the room, and most often the youngest, um, <laughs> I think it's very important for me to bring that up to the conversation. I am here to show you a different perspective because I'm always living that way. <laughs> That's great. Love it. Well, let's jump right into this. Uh, something fascinated me immediately, uh, Anna. You work, I don't know if it's exclusively, but primarily with men. Talk about right. that decision and your work with men. It is uh, primarily, as you said, Jeff. Uh, I do have some female customers, uh, some who have been with me since before. I uh, decided on on owning my powers this way uh, and some who just came my way and I couldn't say no because I'm really excited about their journey and their uh, leadership impact that they can make and I want to support them but mainly 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 it's men <laughs> and that choice has been made ironically around the International uh, Women's Day last year 2020 and the reason for that is that I work, my, my background is engineering, right? So I, uh, I love working with leaders in the tech industry, industries, because I speak their language. I understand the challenges of been working in the corporate in, the, in that environment. I, I know it and I love it. And most leaders in the tech world are men. Yep. And when I started working with corporate or focusing on the corporate leaders, I thought I want to be the support for female leaders in tech because that's my background. I know the challenges of it. I, I've been in those shoes and I want to make a difference uh, for, for people like me in the past. But then the more I networked um, and went through the sales conversations, the more I realized, okay, I'm talking to men 
and I'm not talking trying to sell my services to them uh, for their employees, they more and more start talking about their own challenges with me. Mm. Okay. And I realized that that was very unusual for those men because they didn't have any space to go to and talk mm. about their own challenges. And that clicked to me. I am great at creating a safe space. Mm. Uh, I used to think it's a curse. Now I, I've learned to know that it's a gift and I've learned to use it. And now I understand that this gift can be utilized most and create mo most impact if I actually use it with the male leaders because they need it most at the moment. Well, it certainly seems like a great fit. I mean, you you are being able to come in and create a different perspective for them because, you know, Jeff and I don't know what you've been through as a female, you know, in the in the different realms you've been in. And being able to bring a different energy there, I think, can be incredibly powerful. So I think I, I love what you've done there. Thank you. Thank you. So Anna, can you say a little bit more as you were wrapping up your uh, comment, you shared something about the greatest need. And certainly there's the, your industry, the tech and engineering world is dominated by men in leadership position for sure. So that's a reality, but you also sounds like you're saying there's this great, great need for men to have this different way of leading. Can you talk yeah. more about that? Absolutely, Jeff. And that's what you started talking about, the vulnerability, right? Mm -hmm. Which which you have discussed so many times in, in beautiful ways on, on, on your show. And that is something that the research and the science are showing is important for modern leadership, right? And everyone is talking about it. You need to be vulnerable. You need to be authentic for... Uh, for your people to to join the uh, the crew to really stay aligned with you and so on and so forth. And what I observe is that a lot of men say, "I want to be a good leader. I want to be a modern leader. I want to lead my my people in a sustainable way." But I don't know what vulnerable is. Right. Very few people they have ever been modeled. Yeah, exactly. They were taught to be strong, to to really man up, right, and all those kind <laughs> of things. No showing all your feelings, no. no crying and whatsoever. And doesn't mean that I actually am this kind of shoulder to cry on all the time for my <laughs> clients, not at all, but it's a safe space to explore. What would it mean to me? How can I be vulnerable? And uh, first of all, it's a vulnerability with themselves. That's what we work with a lot. And, and I see that so much and that uh, that resonates so well with what you were talking about, right? That you can't grow your business or your company more, bigger than yourself. Right. And I focus on self-leadership as well, let's say 80% of, of our time with my clients. Hmm. And, and that is what they explore. How can I be vulnerable with myself? What, what kind of emotions do I have? What kind of feelings do I have? What does it mean for me? How does it like come up in my actions, reactions, words, and so on? How does that uh, reflect in my goals, in my health, physical and mental, and so on? Well, I love that you share that, Anna, because one of the things in, in my new book, No Globe Leadership, I have a whole chapter on vulnerability, and most of the chapter is devoted to defining it differently. Mm -hmm. I think it's so often defined in the most scary way, such as it's all about being emotional at work. We have and to I cry. Think that's a that, yeah, you have to cry at work, and that's a tiny piece. Like I always say, well, do you feel like crying? That's not what it's about, but... The one phrase that you know, just resonated with me is I have a line in the book that says, in order to be vulnerable as a leader, I have to be willing to be internally vulnerable first. Mm -hmm. I have to be willing to be that self-vulnerability before I can model it with others, because this is where, this is what has to open in order to open out here. 
in lots of different ways. So I loved how yeah. you, you said that, Anna. Now, if, can you define, Jeff, or uh, sorry, Craig, okay. uh, can you define how, uh, how you actually put it out, out there in, uh, in your book, Jeff, what vulnerability is? Well, I have a lot of examples. And that's one of the things I did is I shared a lot of examples of what I consider to be vulnerability that are way beyond emotion. You know, um, the willingness to ask questions instead of making statements, that's a vulnerability. <laughs> the willing to not have all the answers. Uh, the willingness to be present is an act of vulnerability. The willingness to allow pauses is a vulnerability. Um, <laughs> the willingness to acknowledge that you're struggling to ask for help. So I gave examples of vulnerability, but the phrase and I'm, I'm going to do my best to remember it. The, the, sin, the single statement I said that being vulnerable is taking the risk of allowing people to experience my humanness. Hmm. Mm. And that to me, if I look at every example of vulnerability, there's some version. It's all about being human. Yes, like I'm sometimes afraid. Yes, times I, sometimes I make mistakes. Uh, that's a big one. Uh, I, I said this, I put this video together a few months ago that said, the 10 most important words that leaders need to learn to use regularly are, uh, I don't know, I was wrong, I made a mistake. Now, does that come back to basically you're saying I am not in control? I think that's a huge piece of it. The vulnerability, okay. the vulnerability is the opposite of control. Yeah. I choose to let go scary. of control. To a lot of people, especially control freaks. <laughs> I so love it. Vulnerability is opposite to off control. Yeah. This is just so precious. Dear leaders, leader junkies, <laughs> uh, really take it in. <laughs> All right. And especially if we talk about what we're controlling, because I've, mm. what I've embraced is the only thing I control is me. Right. Uh, I don't control anybody else, but my efforts to control everything and every, including how people see me, yeah, is an element of control. But vulnerability is the opposite of that. I don't know how you're going to interpret my vulnerability. That's, I believe it will be for the good, but it might not be. You might, you know, decide I'm weak. You might mm -hmm. actually decide that. I have mm -hmm. to be willing that, to be okay with you deciding I'm weak, because yeah. that's your belief system. Mm -hmm. So Anna, what do you see? Sorry, I was just going to ask what what do you see as the biggest challenge for for men to reach that point of vulnerability? There are several. There are, uh, of course, internal and external. So if we talk about the external, I, I do talk to leaders, especially startup founders, for example, who are venture backed mm -hmm. or capital backed, and uh, they talk about it that uh, if uh, if I am in the room with a potential investor, so current investor, or board of directors, and I say, I don't know, or I made a mistake, I'm being evaluated in right. a way and, and doesn't show my strength. I'm not, I'm not becoming an alpha male because of those vulnerability phrases. Yeah. I'm being evaluated as a potentially incapable of doing my job. Mm. Yeah. Great point. And this is a huge challenge for, uh, for the leaders to, uh, Find the ways to practice that and to strengthen that muscle without going into those rooms where that actually compromise can compromise uh, somehow, right? And also start making the change in that environment. Be the part of the change so that, yeah. that those kind of conversations don't happen, whichever yeah. room you're in. Okay. And then, of course, there is the internal. Sorry, go ahead. 
No, I was just going to say, does that, when you say, you know, starting that conversation, are you talking about essentially leading down? So the people that report to you, you're embracing their ability to be vulnerable and to not, you know, know everything and be in control so that there's that. How do we lead up then as well? So I guess, what are the two points there? I would say, uh, first of all, you don't have to stop, uh, start even with leading down. It okay. can be in a very, very safe environment, like my, my clients do with me, for example. Mm-hmm. It can be one-to-one with your mentor. It can be one-to-one with your friend or someone. So mm-hmm. just really get into the practice of exercising vulnerability uh, can be a good start. And that's what I mean. Like when, when people decide, my clients decide to be vulnerable, it's not about that they need to shout about it like 360 degrees around, right? And in every message of theirs or on their corporate newsletter or whatever it is. No, you choose the space that is safe for you. Mm. So that it becomes more comfortable for you, that you know how it is. And like that actually helps you be more authentic yourself, right? Mm. And then that helps, that transforms your leadership. Even if you're not obviously vulnerable with everyone else around, well, you're just still practicing it in a safe space, whatever that container is for you. Mm-hmm. That brings more authenticity to your leadership on a broader scale. And that authenticity makes you more powerful. And that can create impact and change that we want to see so that it's, it's easier to, to lead with vulnerability, lead down, leap up, lead around, right? So it's it's about really finding your way of starting with that. Mm-hmm. And I see I see that huge challenge with the high achievers that uh, most probably both of you also work with, who have no problems with really getting their goals uh, done or achieved, right? It's not about that. Uh, for them, it's really about do it in a sustainable way. Mm-hmm. And that is what we what vulnerability can lead to, right? We need to design sustainability into the leadership, and vulnerability is one of the key points for that. What do you see as the ripple effects to getting this? You know, to to developing the vulnerability, to developing leadership the way that you talk about. I would imagine that there are impacts in other relationships, you know, outside of work, you know, home, whatever, um, as well as just being able to have more productivity, profitability, whatever, you know, so explain maybe some of some of what you see as the results of the work that you do. I absolutely agree that it is uh, all over that the results are seen. It's on all your areas of life, in all areas of life. Um, I usually say that more sustainable leadership leads to happy and healthier workplaces, families, and broader communities. And that it, it, that is because we show up as a as humans, right? We you discussed it uh, earlier on the podcast so much about that you can't have two identities, right? Mm-hmm, Be right. a a work or leader, Craig, Craig, and a family, Craig, or right. something like this. No, that that is then you're taking the power away from yourself by trying to be two different people. Right. Oh, so I'm that, oh sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm curious. You referenced this idea of the alpha male, mm-hmm. which could be a whole other topic about the the impact of that mindset in our culture generally not just in leadership but what i'm curious about is i was reading a book this year and i can't remember the title they're saying that we misunderstand what alpha means mm-hmm. from nature actually that if you look at nature that's where we that term comes from 
that the alpha is actually not the biggest often, hmm. not necessarily the strongest, uh, and that there are actually alpha females. And hmm. what it really is, it's a descriptor, it's a label put on the wolves, it's often the wolves where I started, that the others follow. Exactly. So it's actually that they follow them about. because of some trait of theirs, which I would argue is what you're saying. It's that inner confidence, that inner power yeah. that you don't, they don't have to prove it to anybody. So I'm curious if you've looked at that at all, but also talk about this whole labeling of alpha male energy that's getting in the way of leadership. I have never talked about it openly or publicly. It's been in the conversations with my clients more, and it usually comes from them and, and their experiences uh, being in those environments where you need to be this kind of traditional misunderstood way <laughs> of, of being an alpha male yeah. and how when they start practicing the things that we we learn together, how they feel like now I am that real natural power. Mm. And wow. that is in that context, it usually comes up. So are you saying that it unlocks their real power? I would say so. Okay. That's fascinating that we, we try to control things so that we have more power. And yet when we release mm -hmm. that control, that's when we actually come into our own power. Huh. And that's the thing about uh, that, Greg, that uh, when, when we try to control things, we can control them just as long as we're there. Correct. Right. And that is the power of modern leadership, including the vulnerability and authenticity of it, right? That we are able to lead even when we're not there physically. Now Management people, by fear only happens when we are there to actually scare people. <laughs> <laughs> now, with the people that you're working with, would you say that they, they genuinely want to serve the people that are around them that they genuinely like people or are they trying to get to the point where they they are both of those wonderful question craig um i have recently mostly had people who want to first and foremost like themselves again mm, that's so good so important i i get those people who say in our strategy sessions, which is usually the start of the long-term relationship, that I don't, I know I'm not even hoping to be happy anymore, but mm -hmm. at least content with my life. Wow. And, and that is, those are successful entrepreneurs, business owners, corporate yeah. leaders who, who, who have it all from outside. Successful. Yeah. Exactly. Successful yeah. quote unquote. So it's interesting as you're, as you're sharing, Anna, um, you talk about your clients, just getting to like themselves mm. um, and to so find important. some happiness inside. It seems like your, your work is really very much inside out. It's not outside in, it's inside out. What's going on in here? So can you share more about that? Absolutely correct. Oh, Jeff, and it is more internal work that we're doing first and foremost. And that is because leaders bring example, right? by doing they can say the best things in the in the world and have best intentions for their employees but they still lead by their own example and um i i had to work with my clients who are like oh, yeah i i just care about my people too much so okay. i'll do it myself and it's like yes but <laughs> you kick your people out of office because you care about them and they need to rest. And then they see in the morning that the work has been done by you 
And that doesn't give them permission to rest when they go home because they know that you will be working and you cover, cover the whole team. Right. How sustainable is that? Right. And it, it teaches uh, them that, Hey, if I don't get the work done, somebody else will, <laughs> that's mm-hmm. not a really good way to get the work done. But it, you know, maybe people misunderstand what it really means to care about those that they're with, mm-hmm. you know, that we, there are boundaries, you know, so yeah. do you find that the boundaries are one of those things that are uh, not well-defined for a lot of the people that you work with? Yes. And a lot of them are not respected, those boundaries, and first and foremost by the leaders themselves. So for example, if they say, I will not reply to emails or I will do the focus strategy work on Mondays, let's say 10 to 12 in the morning, right? And then you see them replying to that. And then people start asking for their reaction at that time because they see that they, the leader is still working on that time, right? On, on other operational things. And then the leader gets pissed, like, why? I told them I'm doing strategic work on Monday 10 to 12. Why is no one listening to me? Why is no one respecting that? It's like, because you showed them <laughs> that it's okay and you're Absolutely. not, yeah. And that is the challenge that we see a lot. That is such a wonderful comment. Anna, because I, I hear this so often or something very close to that where people, all people, but including leaders are saying they won't respect my boundaries. Mm. And I said, well, but that's not the issue. I know it seems like the issue, but the key is whether you can hold the boundaries. You're, you're upset with other people because they're not holding them for you. And now you're angry at them for, but it comes down to you holding your own boundaries. And I said, basically what you want to do is you want them to do the work. Yeah. You want them to not sometimes figure out the boundaries, but even if you tell them the boundaries, then you're upset with them for not honoring them. Well, but the work is you being willing to hold those boundaries because setting them is one step, but holding them is the work. Is it a matter of self-respect at that point? I would say so. It's self-respect, self-awareness, self-acceptance, uh, all those things. And that's the thing, just as you said, Jeff, uh, it's my work as a leader to respect <laughs> my boundaries and get them respected. And well, again, by that, by that, we are actually showing the, uh, we're leading by example that all the employees have the permission to set boundaries and to respect them with themselves, to stick to them and also ask or claim or ask others to respect our boundaries. And that is so important nowadays, especially with COVID. I, I've, I've heard some leaders asking, how, like, how can I make sure that my, cli- my, my employees work enough? Now they're at home, I can't control them. <laughs> how do you and make I'm sure like, that they don't overwork? That's the question. Exactly. That is more of the issue as the research is showing from the past one and a half years, almost two years. People didn't have the physical boundary of work and, and personal life. And that's why they've been working too much. Most of people had their hobbies taken away, whether it's going out for, with uh, friends, doing some experiences, having travels and so on. So they substituted it with work. And that's why they're less productive because they just work around the clock whenever they're not eating or, or even sometimes when they're eating and whenever they're not sleeping. Makes me wonder, Anna, I had a conversation with a client yesterday that just seems to fit here. He was talking about his personal relationship with his wife and they have some challenges, but he said something like 1% of our relationship doesn't work. And it's not, I mean, it's, it's a small percent, but it's a big issue. I'll just say that. I won't tell you the issue. 
But he said, I sometimes forget that 90% of us is really good. And what made me think about that as you were sharing is, as a leader, what perspective am I looking at? If I'm coming from a perspective, are my people working enough? That's coming from a fear and a lack of trust place and a control, control place. Yeah. It's fear, mm -hmm. lack of, you know, lack of trust and control. And the question of, are they overworking comes from the place of trust, respect, and letting go of control, which is being vulnerable. So it's interesting how those are really tied together. And that mindset, yeah, so you're talking about mind shifts. So talk about that now that we're there. Talk about what it means to be a mind shifter. It's a term that one of the career coaches with whom I've worked um, coined for me. And it was funny because she, uh, she was trying to dig out of me or like, what am I doing exactly? And I was explaining it in terms and da -da -dun, da -da -dun, like leadership, uh, coaching, consulting, whatever it is, personal development. And I was seeing that she was getting frustrated, like, no, no, this is not. And I was like, I don't know what you're wanting from me. And she was like, you are a mind shifter. You get into the room, you talk to people and their roofs just move to the side. <laughs> and then they need to realign the whole self physically and mentally to that new position of the roof. And by roof, I mean this mental space, uh, some picture or, a, like, or your understanding of the world, uh, understanding of yourself. And that's, that is what I do. I really help people open up their mind to see different perspectives and explore. A lot of what we do is about curiosity, for example. Oh, there so we good. go. Well, you talk about curiosity in your work. Talk about the role of curiosity in leadership. Oh, that goes back to vulnerability, for example, right? They're tied together as well. Being curious is about showing that, accepting that I don't know all the answers and asking questions, just as uh, you, Jeff, gave as one of the examples, right? Vulnerability can be asking questions. This is that, that is that. And, and curiosity really, to me, it is kind of the opposite of judgment. One of the dimensions, let's say that way. That's what I've heard so from so many people, my first clients, and now still I'm getting people who, who are my friends and they come to me like Anna I love the way you think can can you teach me that and they say about that I never I, I can be like the most <laughs> the, the biggest jerk <laughs> when I talk about something but I know that I can do that with you because you'll never judge me you always hold the mirror for me like very lovingly very non-judgmentally but still like having this tough love if I need it and that's the thing that that's well um uh, that is because I'm curious I want to understand yeah. why they're being a jerk right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I love what you said there about you're holding the mirror, but you're not bashing them with the mirror. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I assume all of this, this, this lack of judgment or minimal judgment also ties into your ability to create this safe space for your clients. Absolutely. Now, do you also work with your clients to, I'm going to, I'll say teach, that may not be the right word, but help them understand ways they can create a safe space. Because to me, if I can create that as a leader, if I can create that for the people around me, then, you know, I've created a space that's more welcoming, more belonging, more inclusive and safer as well. And with higher levels of trust. Yes, we do learn it together 
And again, I, I might seem like a parrot of it here, but it comes to the self-leadership first and foremost. Mm. And here I use the term self-inclusion. Uh, I didn't coin it myself. Uh, it was one of my mentors, uh, Chaba Thoth. And he gave this brilliant example of, we, uh, look, if we talk about all the um, diversity and inclusion work, or now we, we talk more about the diversity, equity and inclusion work, right? Or initiatives in the workplaces. If we talk, uh, if we take a parallel with a party, uh, diversity is me being different, but still being invited to the party. Inclusion is when the party is happening and I'm there, I'm still, I'm invited to the dance floor. Mm. But the thing is, I won't enjoy the party. I won't enjoy the dance on the dance floor if I don't feel like I belong there myself. Mm. Yeah. And that is the self-inclusion. And I see that as a huge responsibility of leaders to practice self-inclusion, to find the, themselves so that they feel like they belong in that spot. Mm. So much of the imposter syndrome we, we see among the leaders, right? Totally. That they feel like they, 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 don't, they don't belong there. They don't deserve this, this place and this position and so on and so forth. This is lack of self-inclusion. If we manage to practice the self-confidence and self-esteem uh, and align with our inner compass, so that our whole life, our career uh, is designed around that inner compass, our values, the, the, the core four that you're talking about. If you manage to do that as a leader, you automatically create the inclusive space for the others mm. because they see you walk in, walk in your talk. So as you're sharing that, Anna, something came to me, something I've shared with a lot of folks is, I, I, I tend to take create visuals and I think about leadership in that place of inner confidence, inner self-inclusion is the place that when I interact with people, no matter what the context, I'm just sort of here, just standing upright, mm. um, just ac accepting as I am is enough. I don't have to do anything here. But there's these other, other forms of my, myself and my leadership. One is I'm leaning in. Like, you know, I'm trying to really control things. And that's like this physical lean in. I'm going to show you how confident I am. And then there's also the lean back where I'm going to be, I mean, I'm really afraid. I don't feel included. So I can't show inclusion. And I think about this, I'm either leaning in, which is usually not healthy. I'm leaning back, which isn't healthy. But if I'm just here, um, I don't know. Does that resonate with you at all around yeah. this idea of self-inclusion? Yeah. I, I, uh, it does resonate, Jeff. And what I usually say that I help my clients to build this inner compass that helps to navigate the stormy seas of life. Hmm. So if you think about yourself as a ship, you have this GPS system within yourself <laughs> that helps you. If you don't see the stars, if you're just like, everything is just like, I don't know, you don't know where the up and down is because you're in a storm you still manage to guide your ship. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. I've been a Beta Gamma Sigma member for the last 20 years. If you're looking to hire, the right candidate is closer than you think. Beta Gamma Sigma is the International Business Honor Society, exclusively for students at the top of their class in the top 5% of business schools in the world. BGS members are academic achievers, skilled leaders, and experienced problem solvers, and their skills and experience extend beyond the classroom. 
They hold chapter leadership positions, attend global business summits, complete ethics trainings, and engage in world-class internships with top corporations. When you hire a Beta Gamma Sigma member, you are truly hiring the best in business. For more information, email bgshonors at betagammasigma.org to learn more about how to hire BGS members. Welcome back. So I'm curious, Anna, um, you talked about self-inclusion. How, I, I know everybody's different. In fact, you talk a lot, I saw in your bio, everything's highly customized, but from a mindset perspective, how do you help people address this idea of self-inclusion? It's a lot of work on self-esteem, this core belief that I am enough. Yeah. Worthy of love of the others and my own. And it comes to practical tools, strategies to do it on a daily basis to practice that. One of those strategies that we use with most of my clients is daily reflection in a structured way. So in the evening, they need to answer three or four questions, depending on where they are on their journey. Um, one of them being, what have I done well today? Or what am I proud of? The other one, what am I grateful for? The third one, that is quite difficult for many of my clients. What do I need help with? Mm, yeah. So with those things, you strengthen yourself. You see, you just take half a minute to two minutes per day to sit down and sit with yourself, really. <laughs> Understand what is going on in your life and how do you feel about that? Yeah. And what is your active stand in that? Now, do you recommend journaling at that point? Yes, yes, okay. that's what we do. Okay. So I don't think we've talked, we've talked a little bit about this word today, but I wanna focus on it. What's the role and mindset or mind shift around fear? in all of this? I, I get to think about the value words because that's also something that we do with uh, many of my clients. What are the values that you have? Defining your magic three, as I call them. And I got them through the process of doing it. And one of my clients had fearless. And I had to really grill that person to ask, do you really want to be fearless? Because fear is healthy. That helps you survive, right? So it is really about finding your way to be driven by fear, but also always have this self-awareness that, oh, okay, now, now I'm, for example, acting angry, and that comes from my fear. What am I fearing right now? You can look into the different flavors of fear or types of fear, right? Some people go up to seven different types of fear. So just trying to label that thing can help so much in, in seeing it from a different perspective. So what we work with is really learning to understand what are you afraid of right now? So you have the fear is, yeah. is a different way of saying that instead of fearless, how about confident? Would that be... Mm -hmm. You know, even though I'm going to have the fear, I know that I can figure things out. Hmm. It can be different. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So uh, you can choose a lot of ways of turning around this uh, from 
fearless to actually have in fear, but not being guided by them. Mm. My value word that in which that is integrated is unstoppable. Okay. And that is not about that. I'm just blindly following the goal that I have set 10 years ago or whatever, whether it's serving me or my like contributing to my legacy and impact or whatever. It's not about that. It's really about not getting to be stopped by the fears that I'm having, for example, or getting distracted by all the trends that are around. It's like as a, as a solopreneur or entrepreneur in the early stage of my business, there are so many strategies, there are so many coaches to follow and to work with and so on and so forth, right? You can get distracted 24-7. <laughs> and this word unstoppable is really helping me, guide me to actually stay focused on my goals and, and help me find the ways to, to follow them. I I think that's a really important point about, I think you said this earlier, earlier, Anna, people getting really clear about who they want to be and how they want to be and what it actually means, because it means different things to different people. As you were talking, the word that came to me was courageous, because Mm -hmm. that's what's true for me. For me, courage is I, I feel the fear and I move through the fear and I take action despite the fear that, but I label it courage. Greg might label it confident. You might, you label it as unstoppable, but the key is for me to understand what it really means. So when people talk about values with me, I, I like to come back and say, well, why is that important to you? Because as they dig into the why, they start to figure out what they really want as that value and what it really is and what they, how they really want to show up because there's, it's easy to grab words and labels and um, they don't always serve us because a lot of the <laughs> leaders you work with would probably say, I'm, I'm showing up very confidently. And maybe that's not really true. Yeah. Mm. They're showing up a version of confidence that they've mm. seen modeled in their life. Mm. Yeah. And uh, to connect that with the exercise that I just gave a couple of minutes ago, um, I suggest my clients to, when they journal on what they have done well today, for example, what they are they proud of, think of those three value words of theirs. And think about what have I done today to really feel that I'm unstoppable? What did I do today to show and to live by my value word of present? Hmm. What have I done to be beautiful today? Because for me, the beauty, beauty, like beautiful is not about the, I don't know, going to spa salons or doing facials every day or stuff like that. It's about the self-care. It's about the mindset work. Because if I look in the mirror and think, why the hell did I get out of the bed today? (laughs) <laughs> that means that I haven't been focusing on my basics. Yeah. And I bring that lack of self-care, lack of balance to my client work, to my daughter, to my husband, to my broader family, everywhere. Now, do you find that the self-care is something that's really difficult? I would say it seems to be difficult for a lot of people, but men in particular? Hell yeah. <laughs> I, I've seen one of, or I, but I, I really like it how one of my clients has put it. She said, self-care is fine when I need to regain my balance or get back on the horse after some, something that threw me off confidence track of mine. But as a lifestyle, it's tough. <laughs> oh. Yeah, massage every month. <laughs> mm. That's selfish. And uh, he has troubles to continue. Yeah. And he has troubles to continue working with me once he, when he feels fine (laughs) and we need to work with his mindset through that. Like Mm -hmm. why, why do you want to stop working with me? If you know that how, how much 
that keeps your balance sustainable. Yeah. And that is something that I need to guide him through and work with him. And I like this year or the past year, 2021, I've had so many of those uncomfortable situations where uh, it's talking about fears, for example, or this kind of lifestyle of luxury of self-care. <laughs> um, when when we dig deeper with my clients, those fears start coming up. When we start getting, you know, they come to me with the symptoms, the symptom wishes of theirs, what they want to work on. And I let them play with it for a bit to understand that that's not the reason uh, for their problems. And <laughs> like once they kind of mature enough or, and ready for that, we start digging deeper. And that is so uncomfortable. And <laughs> that's scary for people. They're that's like, the mind shift. Yeah, yeah, that's the mind shift in action. And it is scary. So I, I always say that my clients are very brave people or courageous is just the, the word that you used, which I'm using a lot as well. Um, and that's the thing. I need to hold space for them to to go through that fear. And yeah. that fear sometimes goes into, I don't see the value in your in your work or this is too expensive or I don't have time for this. And I'm like, ooh, those conversations. Now we're getting somewhere. And I <laughs> I used to be afraid of them, but this year has taught me to really love them. But I know that now we're talking. Yeah. Now the transformation is really happening. This mind shift is happening. And it's going to be tough for a bit. And I always say it always gets harder before it gets easier. That's a really interesting perspective. So when they say that when they're trying to back off and say, no, I don't need you anymore. You're saying, no, that's when you need me the most. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. And oh, it can I be very it. direct like this, or it can be very different to like put in very different words, but, yeah. but they always thank me in the end of that conversation. Always. Great. Well, I love Anna that you, you added another word in here, brave. Cause as yeah. we were talking, you were talking about that reflection time. We had a guest a few months ago. I think her name was Nicole. Is it Bianchi? Yeah. And her concept is a leadership concept. She has a book about bravery and her daily reflection, which I mean, I thought was kind of a gut punch question that she has her clients ask every day is what was the bravest thing you did today? Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, it was a gut punch because I started looking and I'm still, I'm, this is a good reminder. As I was looking at it, I thought, I don't know that I was terribly brave today. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't that it had to be a big thing. That was the point. But to continue to say, did I really stretch myself today? Was I really uncomfortable today versus saying, was I uncomfortable today? I got to tell you, that question hit me. Mm -hmm. What, you know, uh, what was the bravest had, thing I did today? I had goosebumps when you mentioned that Jeff, it's a very powerful one, for sure. <clears throat> so I'm curious about something we haven't talked about, Anna. Um, we haven't talked a lot about this, what you call the zone of genius. <laughs> Talk to us about the zone of genius. So this is not a term that I have coined. It's uh, coined by Mr. Gay Hendricks. And uh, I think the first book in which he talked about it was The Big Leap. Quite an old one, but still a bestseller. And he defines the zone of genius as this place where you're actually utilizing your natural gifts and follow them and the level before that in a way where most of our professionals stay nowadays is the zone of excellence and that, that is where you're good at what you do but those are the learned skills and that's what i see in the workplaces a lot we have followed some predefined path for career for ourselves 
we've grown to be good and experts in some areas that we internally might hate, or at least that are draining us on, on energy. And we're good at that. We're successful, quote unquote, but we're miserable. And I talk about zone of genius and I have a podcast and it's called Genius Leadership. And it is about finding your zone of genius and really getting to lead from that zone because that becomes more sustainable for you and you become a better leader for the others as well. So this may be an oversimplification, but from everything you've said, Anna, what I take out of that, and I look at the same questions myself, you know, it's only in the last few years that I was really willing to claim what I consider my gifts mm. and really speak them. Um, and there is a difference. I'm, there, I'm good at a lot of things. In fact, I'm excellent at some things, but there's less than a handful of gifts and the two pieces I get in that are first, I've got to get clear on what they really are, yeah. but then I've got to be willing to really claim them, which comes from that um, self-inclusion, that self-worth piece to even acknowledge that I'm, I'm someone who is worthy of having gifts mm. because I can't really share them fully and vulnerably if I'm still hesitant about the truth that I have gifts. Yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful reflection and summary, Jeff. I, uh, I totally agree with what you have said. And uh, to go even further, sometimes we really try to go against our nature and our gifts. And that's what I have been doing. As I said in the beginning, I, I am very good at creating a safe space. And I mentioned that I used to think that it's a curse because I, helper as I am, wanted to save the world. And whenever people would share their biggest traumatic experiences or worries, I was like, what am I supposed to do with this now? I don't know how to, to help you. And at some point I did voice that to one of my friends who shared with me. And I very vividly remember it was studies in Sweden. We were both international students there. He's from Iran, quite older than me. And we're sitting in my student housing kitchen, like we're making lunch together. And I turned around from the stove to him and said, you know, I don't know what to do with this. I feel heavy that you're sharing this with me because I don't know what the solution is for you. And he was looking at me for the first time like I was the idiot in the room because he always <laughs> admired me like, uh, like I was so much better in many things than him and so on. And here I was the idiot in the room. He's like, Anna, I've never talked about this in over. Like, I don't know what it was 12 or 15 years for that time for him. Mm. It's like just being able to speak to a human being about mm. this is a huge relief. So cathartic. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a turning point for me that I understood this is not a curse. Mm. This is a gift. It's great. So, Anna, one other area I want to touch on with you, and we mentioned it briefly in the introduction is this idea that often people in leadership feel very overwhelmed and they're in this space of looking out for or taking care of everybody else. Mm. Um, and I, that's real, re really resonates for me. You know, that's been, I would try, it's probably been true my whole life, but I wasn't aware of it my whole life. And it's a big part of my ongoing work to realize that I can create, I can, I believe I create a space. I call it my, and Craig's heard this word, I call it my Superman shadow, mm. that I can handle everything, I can take everybody's stuff on, I can jump in and save the world. But what I'm not doing is taking care of myself. Yeah. But I'm doing it from a place, it seems good, it feels like, wasn't well, that a good thing to do? 
but mm-hmm. I'm doing it because that was feeding my lack of worthiness questions inside. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering how often you find these leaders who are frustrated by taking care of everyone else and they realize they're actually creating that because their desire to control everything and to be that person that's got everybody and handles everything. It's very often, Jeff, and thank you so much for vulnerably sharing your experiences with this. Uh, I would say that even more so, it's not as much about the um, need of control that uh, that is the reason for, for these behaviors. It is more how we were brought up. We are brought up um, to believe that I need to achieve something to be worthy of recognition, of love, of appreciation, and so on. So this is what we, exactly, we're conditioned that way, we internalize that, that's how we act. And the bad part about that, it's good to help others, but humans are humans. (laughs) We we get comfortable with someone helping us. (laughs) So we, A, we sometimes don't even notice it, we stop stop appreciating it, and B, sometimes we're self-occupied and we don't even, like, yeah, we, we don't bother of thinking about that or for that, right? And that's the, the danger of this of this pattern. When we get on this wheel of like, I'll need to help more people, I'll need to be quicker with my deliverables, because then my manager will see that and, and I will get the recognition financially or like being, I don't know, put on the pedestal during the team meeting, whatever it is, right? And people get used to that. And they give us more and more and more because we're so productive. It's not a peaceful <laughs> way to live. Not at all. Not at all, Craig. And that is what we we see uh, happening in the workplaces. That's why we see the mental health issues going, uh, like spiking, really, and all yeah. the burnout rates that are not happy statistics right now. And to go back to your question, Jeff, I would actually like to turn it around if you may, <laughs> even though it's your show, but now I'm stealing it. <laughs> I would like to hear more about your journey with uh, this part of realizing your patterns of pleasing everyone else or, I don't know, helping everyone else with the price of your own self-care, whatever it is. Um, what are you learning there and how are you dealing with this? Well, what I've learned is there's the, the, a simple answer. There's a lot of complexity, but I had to simplify the answer. The answer is the, the, the doubts I had of my own worthiness, my own gifts, put me in a place that it was easier to take care of everybody else mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. there was no risk in that. There was risk, no risk really in taking care of everybody else because they'd be appreciative and they'd get something they didn't have before. But, and it was a way to take, to distract me from things that were my own risk or like whether it be setting a boundary, you know, one of my challenges over the years and I'm getting better, but is still this ability to just say no, mm. yeah. you know, people ask for help from me all the time. And for years, I never said no, mm-hmm. I was found a way because I was Superman. I could find a way to help everybody and give them anything they needed. And I, I, I fell in this trap because I had a value that said, um, you know, be a giver, yeah. give and put it out. And, and I still have belief, but, but I fell in this trap that I was giving all the time. What I was really was giving myself away. And that's not the same as being giving. 
Mm. Mm. But they looked the same. But I had to get into inside work is what was driving it. And that's still that's an ongoing piece of work. But having awareness of it helps me spot it earlier and create some practices. So one of my practices is when someone makes ask of me, especially bigger ask, is to not give an answer right away. Yeah. And just say, you know what? I appreciate, I, I thank you for this. I'm honored that you've asked this. Um, I, if I'm going to commit, I'm going to really commit. Um, give me a couple of days yeah. or a week sometime, whatever it is before. So I created space. That was my practice that I don't do that reactive. Yeah, yeah, I'll do that. I got that. Mm. That's helping. Thanks for sharing it, uh, Jeff, because uh, this is a, one of the very powerful tools, really. And that is what I talk about, how I define the self-leadership. It's not about not having bad patterns, not falling into those or not having bad thoughts. It's about creating space between the reptile re reaction or reptile <laughs> brain reaction right. and those first things that will happen because you're you're human, for God's sake. So right. it's creating space between that first thing, first thought, reaction, and whatever, and the second thing, and the power and the strategies and the tools to decide what the second one is. I'm glad you said that, Anna. Because I don't. I, we we have a lot of people that talk about emotional intelligence. I read about it. One thing I don't hear talked about enough is just what you said. Part of that is the self awareness to, to begin to know our patterns. Mm. Doesn't mean we know everything about myself. It doesn't mean I know every blind spot, but to know I have patterns. Mm -hmm. And a lot of my clients will say, well, what do I do with that? Well, I said, we have two paths. One is we're going to work on addressing the pattern. But now that you're aware of the pattern, you can spot it sooner. And it's kind of like this idea of going from unconscious incompetence to unconscious competence. Mm -hmm. Like if you see the pattern, I'll do a quick example is I have a conversation with Craig. And I do or say something that really, I didn't come from a good place. I was highly reactive. I got triggered and I don't realize it for a week. They go, oh, you know what? That was that. Okay. And then I go try and address it with Craig. Well, the next time it happens, it's two days later. The next time it's an hour later. Mm. And then the next time it's in the moment, I realize it's happening. Mm. Yeah. I can see it happening. I go, oh, wait a minute. This is that pattern. Just stop. Pause. <laughs> yeah. Pause. Mm. And I catch myself, I pause, and I make a different choice in that yeah. moment. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. That's taking your power back, really. And I, I mm -hmm. have two examples. One is one of the coaches that I've, um, I've been uh, listening to her and following, and I'm uh, waiting on the wait list to become her client because I really love her work with mindset and strategy. And one of her clients was having an issue with pink wall. <laughs> so she was doing her content uh, on the, uh, with the background of a pink wall in her home. And she said, pink is a very important color for me. I've always used it in the branding of my companies and so on and so forth. And um, at some point, a cousin of mine said, you're doing good videos, but the pink wall, you know, uh -huh. if you would have a white background, it would look so much professional and so on. And she just like, oh, my God, I need to repaint the whole world wall or I need to find another spot to shoot my videos and so on and so forth. And they just fall back into the like, look at your pattern. You are now thinking that you're not enough. And you're trying to take yourself away from your authenticity. And whenever they get like they followed that or like they found that pattern, they were like, 
okay name like let's say jeff jeff pinkwall again <laughs> and it kind of snaps like this like oh yeah pinkwall so what do i do with that <laughs> and you have strategies to actually do something with it so yeah. like find your pinkwall like what is your pattern make it fun for yourself to identify it and, and that really that is the the important part of this self uh, leadership work is to actually take away the judgment from yourself right mm, so good. and and making it fun to find those patterns and and right. really empower yourself like oh i found it now now i can actually change it well i think you know one of the other pieces that we you, you had a glancing blow there jeff is is understanding your triggers as well we have patterns but we also have those triggers what starts that pattern going and understanding what what those are maybe choosing not to engage with what those are but maybe having um strategies for dealing with it with them well, and part of that is, and this, that would be a whole nother conversation, recognizing that we actually have triggers yeah, and that most of my behavior that doesn't serve me well is a triggered behavior. Yeah. Um, I know it's, it's, it's an awesome, it's often feels like a real blessing to have conversations with people who get it about triggers because mm -hmm. then we can just talk about triggers, but a lot of times there's denial and that wasn't triggered. <laughs> I just, it was just an mm -hmm. honest response. It was a natural mm -hmm. response. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> mm -hmm. well sometimes I've, I've simplified that and then we'll close with this some some people have said how do i know it was a trigger i'll say well if it happens and you just sort of observe it and go huh that just doesn't seem to line up something's mm -hmm. off here. like or someone else you know someone's reaction to something was not at all what you expected well, there's probably a triggering in there somewhere, <laughs> either yours or theirs or probably both. Dancing yeah. with our triggers, there could be a whole topic right there, dancing with our triggers. Well, I think it's important for us to have those key words of, of what ties into that trigger. For example, my wife talked to me last week. She's like, you know, in class, we, we discovered this word called pedantic. It's like, I didn't really know what it meant, but it's, it's hyper focus on the details and correcting people when they're wrong. I was like, oh, I'm pedantic. She's like, yes, you are. And now that I know that, it's easier for me to, to say, wait a minute, I'm about to say this. I'm going to not say that because it's not going to contribute to the relationship. Mm -hmm. So having those words and understanding that, you know, what, what those triggers might be helps, I think. Yeah. You <laughs> never know where the conversation is going to go here, That's but it's going to sure. go in a good place. So thank you, Anna. Thank you for bringing this really vulnerable conversation about vulnerable and genius leadership to us. We always ask our guests to give them an opportunity to highlight or promote something going on in their world. So what is that for you, Anna? So I do monthly masterclasses about sustainable leadership and um, they are happening first Tuesday of every month. So please feel free to find them. It is uh, on analibel.com. So like my name and slash masterclass and uh, please feel free to join us it's again a safe space to explore your zone of genius that's one of the topics and your natural gifts um, down to looking for the strategies to actually live within your zone of genius where we actually go into practicalities of how do you redesign your life to to follow it and to live from it and for those who are not ready to interact anyhow, uh, just go to your favorite play or you're now listening to uh, to the guys or to us on uh, on your favorite podcast. 
now I can't talk, <laughs> podcast platform. So uh, go and check out Genius Leadership Overcoming Everything podcast. That mm. is my weekly conversations with leaders I admire. Wonderful, awesome. wonderful, wonderful. So what's the best way for people to connect with you, Anna? I know we'll put your website in the show notes. LinkedIn is the best place to connect and please feel free to, to do so and let uh, dro drop me a note that you're coming through the podcast so that we can continue the conversation about the topics we've discussed today. Great. Wonderful. So we always close out with a couple questions and in the interest of time, Anna, we're just going to do one question today. Who is that leadership model for you and why are they a significant model? I have many. One of the leaders who always comes to my mind as one of uh, the managers I had um, back in my consultancy uh, times, who during our annual review told me all the good things about my performance and how my customer, the clients and the employees and he were happy with me. And then he paused and said, Anna, you still have 35 years to go until you retire. Slow down. Mm. Uh. And that from a consultancy manager, yeah. right? Big stones. Wow. Wow. That shifted a lot for me how I uh, set ambitions and how I really estimate my resources, but also set the example of how to be a good leader. Running a marathon, wow. not a sprint. <laughs> exactly. I love that, Anna. Well, thank yeah. you for everything you brought today. And thank you so much for the work that you're doing in the world. It certainly matters. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jeff. Thank, thank you, Craig. It was an amazing conversation. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to your favorite podcasting app, rate us, give us some comments, share some love. It helps us to get our message out to more people. Thank you so much. If you enjoy the Leadership Junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cartavera.com confident to find out more. See you on the inside. Don't you know that you're a grown up? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I, I hope so, man. I'm tired. <laughs> who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I, I, I've never done it. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, right.